0: Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com joined as always by founder and owner John Vitzer. John, how's, how's it going? How have your holidays been?
1: Uh, holidays have been wonderful with uh, the family. Thanks, Josh. How about you?
0: Pretty good here as well, you know, doing what we can inside. It's uh, just sticking in the immediate family but, you know, trying to, trying to make it as uh, Christmassy as we can over here. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so we had a full episode planned, and then A.J. Preller happened.
1: <laughs> Our old buddy A.J. Preller. Always. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I guess that, that teaches us to plan episodes out in advance, huh? <laughs>
1: sure. We'll squeeze him in. We'll squeeze you in, A.J. Yes, yes. We'll squeeze
0: in an entire Blake Snell trade and you, Darvish trade. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, jokes aside, we do have a very full, very fun episode today. Um we have the Josh Bell trade to talk about, we have Snell and Darvish, um, we have our trade of the week, and then we have an article that we're going to get into uh, similar to how we did a few episodes back with some of those Francisco Lindor proposals, and uh, we're just going to see how uh, <laughs> if this article fares any better than that one does in our simulator, so should be a real fun episode. Uh, let's just jump right into it, start with the news. Um first trade of the last couple of weeks and the one that we thought was going to uh, be the main focus of this episode in a way uh, before it got real overshadowed was Josh Bell so this was our first real miss of this off season, and we'll get into why but the Nationals picked up Josh Bell who we had as a non-tender candidate we had him at zero million in value um, his arbitration price was going even higher this year uh, the Pirates held on to him, figured they could get a trade for him, and it turns out they did. They sent him to the Nationals for a couple of uh, pretty solid right-handed pitching prospects, Will Crow, who we had at 3.5 million, and Eddie Yean, who we had at 3.3. Um, so this this trade was accepted by our system as a major overpay. I mean, it's it was right on the verge there of being rejected altogether. I think it's I think it's fair to say that we were. I, I wouldn't say that we were wrong but that this was the outer limits of our model here um and that i think at least personally i was definitely caught off guard by this
1: so his fair value um based on our modeling was around six or seven which is right around his arbitration uh, estimate so we just didn't see any surplus there um now usually there's an acquisition co- cost for a you know more desirable target Um, So maybe you can explain this one a little bit that way, but I think it was mostly about Washington saw something that they could fix. They they were enamored by his first half of 2002 2019. Uh, it came out later that his uh, that Kevin Long, the hitting coach in the Nationals, saw something he think he, he thought he could fix. And so it's a it's a gamble. It's, you know, I, I sort of question whether they could have just signed a CJ Krohn or, or Renato Nunez and gotten similar production and maybe even cost less without having to give up any prospects, but that's their choice.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the one way I can kind of see this from the Nationals' perspective is that the first base market as a whole is pretty dry right now. Um, now, there, it's in the game right now, there aren't that many good first basemen, which is a bit odd. <laughs> um, usually first basemen are seen as a deep offensive position. Uh, all the sluggers, all of the bat-first, no-glove types, but now those types are becoming less and less valued so that's why we see guys like renato nunez getting dfa'd by the orioles earlier this year or guys like cj crone who are just on the free agent market every season after kind of middling one-year deals um i guess from the nationals perspective you could see it as these three guys are probably going to give me the same production bell crone and nunez but bell does it as a switch hitter and he has so much more upside than either of those two ever have um, if if you are willing to even a little bit bet on his 2019, those couple hot months there, then this could end up being a steal for them. It's not very likely based on what we've seen in the six months or so of play since then, but it's a chance, and it's a chance that isn't really there for Corona Nunez.
1: Yeah, there's always a chance that um, you know change of scenery could help Bell um maybe put him on a team that's more sort of inclined towards winning maybe he'll wake up a little bit you know sometimes that happens uh the other thing i would note is that um uh, will Crow's stock has been following so we might even have been high on him you know he was pretty disappointing in his in his major league debut and yeah wasn't that great in the triple a season before that so you know i know we have him fairly low at three but it could be at two but it's not enough to make much of a difference in the concept of the trade
0: so you did write an article Um, sort of about this trade, but more about what this trade means for the rest of the market. Um, You took a look at Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Gary Sanchez, guys that we also discussed as, like, not necessarily non-tender candidates, but in that range where... Their, their uh, arbitration values were getting real close to their on-field values after pretty rough 2020 seasons. So uh, what did you what did you come to when looking at those? Again? <clears throat>
1: yeah, the the main thing I was trying to solve for is our initial assumptions about how to sort of weigh the stats from the 2020 season. Obviously, it was a shortened, weird season, and a lot of hitters had a hard time getting on track. And so the question is, do you just throw that out? Do you weigh that, you know, like a normal season? albeit on a prorated basis, or do you sort of discount it somehow? So what what I was trying to solve for was, did the Nationals just throw out Josh Bell's bad to 2020, 2020 and say, no, he's actually worth more because he was good in 2019 and we don't care about 2020? Or did they weigh it a little bit? And so I was comparing notes and saying, okay, um, you know, does that mean that there's, you know, everybody else is weighing it, you know, based on those same parameters? And I think not <clears throat> is my takeaway, it, particularly since we saw... Some free agents signings, you know, Drew Smiley, you know, he wouldn't have been signed if not for his 220, uh, 2020 uptick. Um, you know, the uh, Kevin Gossman QO would not have happened. You, you know, you can find numerous other examples where the market said, yeah, we're actually valuing 2020 on a more sort of normal, albeit prorated basis, and which is what our assumption was going in. And so, um, basically sticking with that assumption until proven otherwise. So I think this was more of sort of an aberration of, hey, we think we we can go, we think Bell can go back to his 2019 self, but it's not an indication that everybody's doing that. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I like that you did in this article for all three of those players, Bryant, Baez, and Sanchez, is you kind of took a step back. And I think this is something that a lot of people forget to do a lot of the time. And they just see, oh, there's Chris Bryant, if my team wants to get him. You know, it it hurts for the Cubs to lose him. He's their star. Uh, My team's going to have to give up someone really good. Well, we talk a lot about how arbitration system's kind of screwy, and for those guys, it doesn't really treat them well coming off of bad seasons where they continue to get a raise, but now their expectations for the next season are lower, and so those numbers are starting to converge. So what you did for all three of these guys is you took a step back. You you ended up at this number um, for their value and then you said hey if they were a free agent would they get this much on a one-year deal right and i think that's a step that a lot of people skip or neglect is that yeah like right now we just a great comparison you made here about gary sanchez is we just saw james mccann get about 10 million a year and so maybe if you maybe if that was a one-year deal that's you know 12 million or something like that 12 or 14 million on a one-year deal for james mccann and Gary Sanchez, he's got more name value than James McCann, but he hasn't been half the player that McCann right. has the last two years. Um, so saying that his his field value of uh, adjusted field value of 8.7 million, yeah, I think I think if Gary Sanchez is on the open market, he probably gets a, and he's only looking for a one-year deal. That's pretty accurate. I don't think teams are going to trust him as much as they would trust James McCann.
1: Yeah, I mean he's on a been a downward he's been on a downward spiral for a couple of years now. That K rate keeps going up and up and up, and uh, man, it was horrible. Thirty six percent, I think it was in twenty twenty, and even worse in the playoffs. So you know that's something he just can't stop chasing. And pitchers know this, and he just keeps striking out. So until he fixes that, um, you know that's. You know one thing he does have is still great exit velocity when he does barrel a ball it goes out of the stadium usually but um more and more they're not throwing him strikes because he's swinging at bad pitches so and he keeps striking out so you know there's only so much of that you can take and that's where the the yankees are with him i think and um i think that definitely is why it hurt his trade value uh, but just a note to your larger point um you know i think in general we do a sense check on that as well like if this were a free agent equivalent you know what would that mean and i can cite other few examples as we go here but um, um, but but that's always kind of a good sort of reality check. If you were a free agent, what would he get? You know, given these parameters. And so yeah. you know, it's always sort of a good double check on our on our values. So we're not just sort of thinking about it in an abstract sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like uh, even even though we were off by about six and a half, almost seven million on this uh, on this Bell offer, this Bell excuse me, this Bell trade. Um, I think I come to the same. Independent conclusion that you do in the article that we still feel confident about where we have these similar players, these similar um, struggling stars on big arbitration uh, estimates in that they have some value more than more than the zero we had for Josh Bell, but they're not going to be going for these top prospects that a lot of people might think yeah
1: exactly and you know my point is that you know it's the equivalent of josh bell getting a one-year free agent deal around 13 14 million which seems absurd to me um you you know for a first baseman with no defense um now one could argue well the you know money is hard cash and prospects are sort of you know more fluid and maybe you can't sort of equate the two and i think I think that's, I've, I've gone around and back on that question and I think in the aggregate you can, but it kind of depends from team to team. Some teams have way too many prospects or different goals and they're sort of like, yeah, I'm okay with losing a prospect or two and it's not the same as paying up in hard cash for it. Other teams like the Rays have way too many prospects and are, you know, cash is very dear to them. So. You know, but those things in a, in an aggregate sense kind of cancel each other out. So in an aggregate sense, I sort of equate the, you know, the two forms of capital rather equally, you know, hard cash or 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 player capital. Um, yeah. In, you know, but, but maybe in the Nationals case, they're like, okay, we have one more year of Mechsures or it's probably our last year to go for it. And so we're just going to, you know, spend what little prospect capital we have to try to do so.
0: Yeah. It's certainly a case-by-case basis where some teams – dollar in cash is worth more than the dollar or the yeah, the dollar in cash is worth more than the dollar in prospect value. Mm-hmm. And for some teams it's the other way around. Right. Um, but in general, I think we are it is fair to say that they're on the same scale, the same sliding scale sort of. Um, as we've mentioned before, those are the two ways to acquire talent, the two forms of capital are right. cash and prospects. Or I guess on field value, but mm-hmm. in this situation, prospects. Mm-hmm um and we've seen it historically that it is on the same scale a sliding scale we've seen teams take on more cash in a deal to sort of buy a prospect Mm -hmm. or more cash to get a better prospect or less cash and then it's just kind of a salary dump or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be we've seen that they are treated similarly here so i think that is a fair assumption to make okay all right so from that um let's get into The next big trade, and now we're heading into Preller territory. So, this one really came out of nowhere. (laughs) This really came out of nowhere. Um, It felt like we were in kind of a holiday lull. A sort of a, it was going to be a quiet winter. Things might pick up in January, and then we'll actually have a real off season to get to. But Preller said no. (laughs) Preller said, none of you get a vacation. I'm not taking one. You guys don't get one. I'm going to go get Blake Snell. So Padres picked up Snell, who we had at 50, $52.9 million in trade value from the Rays in exchange for a pretty significant uh, package of young talent here. Luis Patino, right-handed pitcher, $48.2 million. Uh, righty Cole Wilcox, $5.4 million. And then catcher Blake Hunt, $3.7 million. And catcher outfielder Francisco Mejia at $3.6 million. So this one, uh, this one was a slight overpay by San Diego, but well within the range of our model, much closer than the uh, Bell trade um and it makes it makes a lot of sense for both sides. I mean, obviously it does, otherwise they don't make the trade. But we've talked about um the Rays sort of catching issues in the short term and they're going to try Francisco Mejía out back there um see if that will work, see if he can kind of if he can if he can break into his own, He's been a former top prospect in the past. Uh he was a part of that big Brad Hand trade got him to San Diego, and since then, his stock has just kind of cratered. His value has fallen. Hasn't really done much. There's questions about his ability to stick at the position. If there's anywhere for him to find that development that he needs, find that growth that he needs, it's Tampa Bay. They'll, they'll get something productive out of him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Patino is the type of frontline talent that could immediately replace Snell. He, he's, he's that type. Of, he's, he's not likely to. He'll probably be in some sort of uh, bulk innings role, kind of switching back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen like the Rays often do. But he is that type of impact arm that a year or two down the line we could be saying, we could be looking at this like another Chris Archer trade where Francisco Mejia is a, an all-star caliber catcher and Patino's a frontline starter. And we say, wow, they really knew what they were doing even though it didn't look like it at the time. Um, although, And I I, I can hear you. (laughs) I hear you, John. Um, I hear what you're thinking. We just (laughs) talked a couple weeks ago about how we can't keep comparing everything to the Chris Archer trade. That one was definitely incredibly lopsided from day one and just turned out to continue in that direction. This one is looking very much more fair. Yeah. I, I think it's
1: hard to find anything wrong with this trade from, from a sort of objective point of view. I think it meets the needs of both teams. You can cry, and, well, I shouldn't say that because Tampa Bay obviously was just in the World Series and now they're trading a frontline starter. So um, you can look at it you know, from, from the fan standpoint and say, that's not good. Um, but if you look at it from the Rays front an office point of view, it's what they do. You know, they 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 turn, you know, talent, you know, once it starts to get expensive into younger versions of the same talent. So Patino is the replacement for Snell as a potential frontline starter, you know, and then now you've got 6 years of control of him instead of 3 of Snell at, at you know, it, at a cheaper price. Plus, you get three other prospects. So you know, it's hard to go wrong with that. That's what the Rays do, and they just continue to turn that over. So it was a very razy trade, and obviously San Diego's going for it now. Um, so, so you can't blame either team for 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 that. And I I appreciate the fact that you know I think the the value is pretty close on our and in our system.
0: Yeah, and I think Snell is exactly the type of guy that the Rays would try to sell a little higher on. Um, this isn't necessarily the same as. The uh, as them trading David Price away where that was a free uh, uh, yeah that was a rental um, it's not the same as them trading Chris Archer away where they found someone who was just willing to blow them out of the water <laughs> um, It's, but it is a case of them selling a little high here I think where I think the Rays are definitively set on Snell being a two times through the order guy yeah. of him just being a five maybe if he's really on it six innings type guy not going to go deep into many games both because of his injury history and uh, just his uh, his control issues his struggles third time through the lineup so I think they are 95 to 100 percent set on that's who he is and that's fine for them given the way that their roster is always constructed the type of pitching depth they always build how strong their bullpen is uh, the ability of almost every arm in that bullpen to go more than an inning that's fine for them but if they're willing to if they're able to trade him to a team like the Padres, who might look at him and say maybe we can do something here maybe we can push him maybe we can get him to be that six or seven inning guy so at that point you're looking at the padres are valuing him a little bit higher than the rays and maybe willing to overpay a little bit for him so the rays get a little bit of that benefit there from trading him
1: yeah we'll see and to be you know to be honest that's why um we didn't put that sort. so normally for a frontline starter we sort of add a little bit of a market premium to them because they're scarce there's only a handful of them or maybe you know a handful is too small but you know there's not that many of them compared to the demand every team wants a frontline starter especially the contenders or wannabe contenders and so they they you know usually go for a premium price um We didn't actually do that. I I did a little math, and if we had applied that 10% premium to Snell, he would have been right at 60-ish, which would have been the exact number that they got back. Um, But the only thing that uh, personally held me back from doing that was that five-inning issue with Snell. Like, he has never been that 3rd time through the order type of guy that really would kind of put you over the topping truly that ace. That's the only thing, I think, holding him back.
0: Yeah, and I believe if you if you were to ask maybe anonymously the uh some of the more prominent MLB executives, some of the more forward-thinking ones, hey, is Blake Snell a number 1? They I think you'd have a unanimous no, a resounding no in response that he is limited from being a true frontline guy that gets that kind of that gets yeah. that boost that you're talking about by his innings concerns.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not Jacob Degrom. He's not going to go out there right. and you know you're getting really great performance for seven innings every single yes. time, especially in the World
0: Series. He's not that. Yes, exactly. So, um, and, and let's not let's not overlook Cole Wick, Wilcox or Blake Hunter either. Uh, those are a couple of really solid prospects joining an insane Rays system. I mean, you can you can look at the Rays and complain about what they're doing. And I think that's that's a very valid complaint as a fan. You you like to, especially when you see a guy like Snell wins the Cy Young, gets extended on a nice contract, you like to root for that guy. You want to wear the jersey. You want to feel like you're comfortable. Yeah, this guy's going to be on my team for the next four or five years or whatever. Um, so I'm not faulting any any anger or frustration there from the Tampa Bay fan base, nor am I faulting any outside baseball fans any uh, fans of other teams that are kind of uh that don't don't like these kind of penny pinching moves that the rays make because it, it kind of leads to an overall larger economic problem in baseball i'm not i'm not discounting either of those opinions but when you look at the rays and you look at just the massive talent they have at every level of their system this this team that just went to the world series that just took it to game six against one of the best teams we've ever seen in the Dodgers. Um, this team that was already on top of the league they also have the best farm system in baseball and the best prospect in baseball and incredible depth in that farm system so absolutely not going anywhere and it's because of deals like this
1: absolutely and that's what they keep doing and and um actually i was just crunching the numbers on the farm sort of you know rating each system based on the value of their top 30 prospects they're now far away far and away the number one i mean they were the number one but now it's not even close because the padres were a close second and yes. now the padres have slipped because they keep trading prospects so um the the Rays and the rays keep adding to theirs with trades like this so it's nuts so but yes. you know what they're going to have to do at some point is spend that prospect capital or graduate it and part of the reasoning for the snell trade was to make room for you know the next the next generation coming up you got McClanahan coming you got you know, maybe Honeywell, um, got Shane Baz coming, um, Brendan McKay is coming back from injury. And then so, Josh
0: Fleming was great for them yeah. out of nowhere in the <clears> leagues <throat> last year. He's not at the level of those guys, but they're going to want to see what they have with him. Yeah. They, they just have a, so many good arms there that are all either MLB ready or almost MLB ready that it's time to make some room. And now they even add one to that with Patino.
1: Exactly. Now they got Patino and although he's still young, they might want to give him a little more seasoning because he was rushed up from, I think, high A, you know, because of the weirdness of 2020. Um, So so he could probably use a little bit more seasoning, you know, to to truly, you know, kind of mold him into a starter, which I think he will be. He's got the raw right stuff, uh, you know, raw stuff for that. Um, So so they got a lot of arms coming, so they needed to make room for that. And that's kind of their model is kind of next man up, next man up. And so you got to think forward, Okay, who else are they trading to kind of make 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 that happen, you know, in the other position? as well they've got infield issues they've got Bruhan coming at second base they've got you know like where are you going to be Franco's coming you know so there's some other trades i think they'll, they'll continue to make to keep doing that
0: yeah they're i don't think they're done yeah. even if they are done for this offseason expect a whole lot more next offseason and the one after that and they're, they're just going to continuously have and, and we'll get to this more a little bit later with them they're just going to continuously have this roster churn this 40-man yeah. churn
1: that's what they do
0: um, yeah um and then another thing to note real quick, uh, as we transition into the next Padres trade, um, props to Preller. I, I I won't say too much. <laughs> I won't say, uh, wow, how did he do this? Great job, Preller, because I think uh, we would have expected it anyway. Um, but a lot of people are surprised that he was able to add Clevenger, Snell, and the next one we're getting to, Darvish. And he only gave up one true blue-chip prospect in Patino. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people were surprised by that. Mm-hmm. If you if you use our values, if you use our site, if you check out our model, you wouldn't have been as surprised by that. Um, you'd know that there were limiting factors for both um, Clevenger and Darvish, and to an extent for Snell, that made it such that Mackenzie Gore was never on the table, <laughs> like... He was never going anywhere. Campusano yeah. was going to be hard to move. Um, yeah. Abrams wasn't going anywhere. Like th- those guys were already kind of off the table. Yeah. But still he did well in, in moving from more of his prospect depth and, and a little bit of a log jam at the starting pitching level. Um, that yeah. comes to patino
1: yeah no he he traded you know the second tier for the most part yeah. in all of those trades right he he just cleared out that sort of middle level right below those names you mentioned that are sort of in our model in these sort of you know tens to nines to eights to seven kind of category and you just keep adding them up and throwing them out there mm-hmm. and that's what it, he had a lot of those and he used mm-hmm. that capital
0: yeah and that's another area in which uh in which the rays now take a step forward because as i mentioned they're not only top-heavy with the best prospect in baseball in Wander Franco, they're also just insanely deep. And we just saw the Padres trade not only Patino, who has the big you know, $48 million trade value, um, but also a lot of those middle-tier guys and a lot of those younger international types that could blossom into more. Um, so now <laughs> they have a little less. They, they've also had a, a historically deep system. Uh, Preller's great with international signings. Yeah. That's one of his strongest suits. Um, but they just took a little bit of a hit from that, whereas the Rays only added theirs. So, All right, let's head into the next one. Uh, we talked about the Belt trade, how that was just on the very margins of accepted by our model. This one was rejected outright. So this is the U Darvish trade. Uh, the Padres added U Darvish, who we had at $20.1 million in trade value, and catcher Victor Caratini, we had at $5.5 million. in exchange for five players righty Zach Davies, who we had at 0.5 million. Uh, infielders Jason Santana at 3.8 and Reginald Preciado at 3.6. And outfielders Ismael Mena and Owen Casey at, or Ismael Mena at 2.4 million and Owen Casey at 2.1 million. So I, we, we explained this a little bit on Twitter um, of why exactly we missed here. And we think uh, we think the model is fine and it was just you know, a little bit of a little bit of things that we can't anticipate, a little bit of things that maybe we misread the market on. So uh yeah. care to explain that? Yeah,
1: sure. So <clears throat> our model said that um Uh, You is worth 71 against a 59 uh, salary that he still owes, So it gives him a surplus value of 12. If you add up those prospects, what, you know, that's pretty close. Um, So I don't think it's the model. It's sometimes we have to read the market and adjust afterward. As I was saying earlier, typically a frontline starter gets a premium. And we usually assume that's around 10%. So that's what we did here. And sometimes even skew it a little bit higher in his range. And that's what we did here as well. So we thought that, um, you know, Darvish coming off a fantastic year, second in Cy so Young, amazing season, and even good, you know, before that as well in 2000. 2000- 19 we know he has some spotty track record before that but but for the most part he's a frontline starter at this point he's in a groove. we also know he's 34 and these are the seasons 34 35 36 where you start to see some decline so we factored that in but nonetheless we thought okay a frontline starter he's going to command a premium most of the questions we got was why isn't he higher why isn't he higher before this trade happened like everyone thought he should have been much higher than that and i said well again using that sort of device of comparing it to a free agent market if he were free agent coming off a, a year where he was second Cy Young what would he get uh, if you use that sort of number 20 and you, and you add that to the um, money he's owed you know 59 you get a estimate of a free, con- free agent contract of around 379 which is about 26 27 million AAV which seemed about right other people said no it should be like a, at least in the 30s based on what he's saying and I thought no that's too high for a 34 year old so so we use that kind of as a, as a test to kind of just sort of as a sense check so what surprised me here is is how low he went um and and i think it was a salary dump i think that the industry and then You know as as it turns out we're in good company the entire industry knows they didn't get much for him the entire industry knows it was a salary dump we know the cubs are cutting payroll we know theo epstein left because he said that's the writing on the wall (laughs) have jed handle it and um and that's what jed's doing he's basically has as far as i know from everything i've read he's got a mandate from the ricketts family owners to cut payroll and so what he's doing is Shopping anybody who has trade value. Darvish has trade value. There was a report today that you know they're shopping Contreras more actively now because he's got trade value as well. Um, that's how they're going to cut, and so that's the priority. So <clears throat> the targets, the the prospects they targeted were all teenagers with upside. And that makes sense, too, because to your point earlier, some of them, maybe one or two of them will grow into something that's got some helium, Um, you know, but they're far away. So from a present value standpoint, it wasn't even close. And I don't see anybody arguing that it was a fair deal i think it was a salary dump and they took what they can get one other point i would mention is remember that um Udarvish has a has a no trade clause to 10 or 12 teams we don't know which teams they were but it's possible that other teams that might have been able to absorb that salary and give a little bit more were not on we're on his no trade list i'm thinking teams in the northeast like the yankees mets maybe toronto um who probably could have afforded it and maybe given a better package and who also need pitching, you know, um, maybe he doesn't want to pitch there. We don't know. Um, that's just speculation, but I'm, I'm wondering if that played into it as well. Like, okay, if there's not that many suitors not that many reasonable destinations we can trade him to, if you're, if you're the Cubs, you know, and your owner is breathing down your neck to trade him, then you take what you can get. I think that's what
0: happened. Yeah. yeah I think the, the trade clause or no trade clause is in general, very difficult to read. Um as you mentioned, we we didn't necessarily know which teams. We often don't know which teams are included. We know maybe one or two, not all of them that usually doesn't get reported until later, if at all. Um, there are situations like the whole Lance Lynn deal uh, that we've talked about that we talked about last episode where uh, we didn't know <laughs> that there was essentially a no trade clause there and that's why he wasn't traded and eventually he was. he, he had threatened to opt out if he was traded to a team he didn't like. Uh, so we don't know, if Darvish would treat things the same way, if if he's approached about a trade to the Yankees and just flat out says, no, I'm not going there ever. Or if it's a situation where something can be worked out, some sort of sweetener in the deal. Um, a lot of cases you'll see um, the contract get a little reworked or a, a club option is exercised at the time of the trade to say, I want you to guarantee me that fourth year if I'm accepting a trade there or whatever. Um, so we don't we don't know the specifics there, so it's hard to put too much weight into that. Um, I think I think it's fair to say that to an extent we misread, misread the market, but I also don't think it's entirely our fault. <laughs> um, where we've seen the market acting, and you, you wrote about this, we've seen the market acting mostly normal so far. We we had anticipated there were a lot of concerns about spending going way down owners crying poor after the 2020 season, you know, shortened 60 games, no fans, way less revenue. Um, We had concerns about that entering the season, but then we saw at the non-tender deadline, everything looked pretty normal. None of the Bryants of the world got cut. And then throughout free agency, it seemed like players were getting what they were expected to get, if not more. I mean, Drew Smiley got $11 and I think that caught a lot of people off guard. So the market was acting mostly normal. Yeah. We couldn't really anticipate that in this one case, it wouldn't. <laughs> I, I yeah. mean, I, I I feel stronger. I feel strong about the $20.1 million in trade value we have for Darvish and, and the way we got there in a normal year. You know, pre-pandemic, you have teams like the Astros who might be involved there, more willing to spend money. Uh, you mentioned the Mets and the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know, teams like that. Uh, the Nationals, maybe. Again, we don't know which of these teams were and weren't on the no-trade clause. But in in a normal year, normal market, I think there's a lot more competition. The Cubs don't necessarily run into the same problem and have to settle for less. So I don't I don't entirely blame us for missing that.
1: Yeah, and I feel the same way. Um, what I do sense, though, and when I'm reading the room here, is that big contracts are almost impossible to move like so what ha- so what's happening i think is that almost every team has budget limitations right and there's only so much money they can play with because um, their owners are basically saying cut costs you know uh, you know across the board with a couple of exceptions in the Mets and maybe the blue jays so everybody's got limited budgets so they're spreading it around a little bit so even you can look at the Mets and being very disciplined and saying, well they're not gonna sign real Muto they're signing McCann instead of paying 25 for 25 million for you they're paying 10 million for McCann so even they're being disciplined about it so anything that's over say 20 is really hard and it, it calls into question the market for big name free agents like real Muto or Bauer like maybe they're not gonna get what they want because teams don't have that much to put into one player. They're spreading it around. So anybody in the trade market who's making over $20 million is got the same problem, right? Because you know, a lot of teams are trying to off- offload those guys and nobody wants to take on that much for one player because they only have so much money and they want to spread it around. So and in that light, you can see a signing of a, a Drew Smiley or a James McCann make perfect sense because they're going to cost less. And so they're the surer bet. And I can spread my money elsewhere. So that's my read of the market right now
0: yeah and uh after after this news dropped and we kind of dissected it figured out where we went wrong we did take a bit of a look back at some other similar players who might end up in the same category you know a zach wheeler who we don't know if, <laughs> we don't know the validity of the rumors that he was being shopped around we don't know how that changes since they brought in dombrowski um, but he would be a similar case where he's got solid on-field value but a significant contract as well um So maybe he gets he has a similarly limited market to Darvish if they even ended up deciding to trade him Um, and then Francisco Lindor, who it is a one year deal so that that changes the calculus a little bit, Um, but he's also pretty pricey so maybe his, his market is limited as well
1: yeah uh, so we downgraded him just a touch from like 36 to 32 and i think that's about right um given the market conditions um and also the fact that he doesn't have that many suitors <laughs> you know to be yeah. honest um so you know i wouldn't be surprised by an underpay there but but i think that's that's about right there um, you know, but we already have a lot of this is sort of baked into the market. We already had like Nolan Arenado at minus forty three and people were, you know, raising their eyebrows at us, but so now I feel very comfortable with that and our model actually says you know, it should be even lower than that, but I'm yeah. holding to that forty three. <laughs> so um because I think there are sort of extenuating circumstances there. But he's gonna be really impossible to move unless he you know, they take a canoe who's also worth like minus forty back. Um, and I think some of that may be, you know, in discussion right now if it with not Arenado, then other sort of, you know, Uh, underwater contracts people are trying to say okay i'll shop this guy has you know a lot of money left over for two years but maybe if we shop him for a guy who's underwater but for one year Uh, the rays i'm sure are shopping Kiermeyer, who we have at minus 9.7 that's not that bad he's still a reasonably productive player but he's owed 26 million dollars and he's a below average bat and who knows how long his center field defense will hold up so i'm not sure how many takers are there for him at that price point so i think they may have trouble moving him um i think you know there are other sort of cases where you don't you don't want to necessarily assume um everybody's in the same boat because we know the cubs are cross-cutting but we've seen enough in the reports of the market being you know really slow um the colton wongs and the broad hands also sort of earlier on to know that everybody's being very tight so i think the the safe assumption is anybody making a lot of money you know is suspect to a haircut
0: yeah i Going back to what I said earlier, I think this could be a case where the dollar in prospect value does not equal the dollar in dollar value um, for the Cubs. So desperate to move that money, uh, this is pure speculation, but maybe they had better offers on the table, either from the Padres or from other clubs, um, that just required them to eat more of Darvish's contract, and maybe they said, no, we'd rather dump the majority of the contract, take... even lesser return than we still think they would have deserved but a lesser return in prospects than half the contract because we just really need to get out from under this money yeah Um, again pure speculation but it seems to line up with kind of what they've been saying
1: yeah exactly and and it's interesting i thought um that um you know aj preller through Zach Davies in the deal, who's estimated to make a little over 10 million in arbitration in his third year of arbitration. He's a good pitcher, not a great pitcher, but you know he's he's about in market value he's worth about 10 million i'd say so that's why people wondered why we were low on that well that's why because there's not much surplus there he's about a 10 million pitcher making 10 million money so um but the reason he was there was to offset some of the salary they were taking on for for darvish and so the cubs when you do the math you know they um also you know um caratini was make is due to make about 1.6 so they offloaded You know, 9 or 10 or 11, not 22, uh, because they're kicking in a few more as well. We don't know how much, but um, Mm -hmm. so but they're going to save money. You know, but to me, I guess that was enough to kind of split the difference. So they get some prospect capital back instead of just dumping the whole thing um, and not getting like taking on a Davies. So, you know, it was interesting. They kind of split the difference there. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's move on unless you have anything more to add. We'll move on to this last trade. Mm -hmm. All right. This one just broke today. Much smaller than either of those two, but uh, it was actually necessary to make one of them official. <laughs> uh, so it was a three-team deal between the Phillies, Dodgers, and Rays. Uh, the Phillies picked up lefty reliever Jose Alvarado from the Rays, who we had at $1.6 million. Uh, The Dodgers picked up lefty Garrett Clevinger, who we had at $0.1 million from the Phillies. And the, Dodgers, or the Rays picked up first baseman Dylan Paulson, who he initially didn't have in the system, but upon adding him, had him at $0.7 and a player to be named later, both from the Dodgers. So, very obvious here. Yeah. We've talked about this multiple times before. The Rays' 40-man crunch. So they come out as a bit of the losers in this trade, but they clear the spot on the roster. They needed two spots on the 40-man after they traded Snell for Mejia and Patino, both needed to be added, uh, one of them takes Snell's spot. The other one they needed a spot for, so they send Alvarado out. Um, he had a pretty down 2020. He had some shoulder issues. But I, I guarantee you this, <laughs> looking at the Phillies' bullpen, looking at what they did that, last year, he is an upgrade no matter what over at least someone in that bullpen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, he, he could pitch with his right arm and still be an upgrade. Yeah, it was that bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, the health
1: is the big issue with him. You know, shoulder problems are always kind of scary for pitchers. And, he, you know, obviously had a bad 2020 and was kind of spotty before that. But he was great in 2018 and, and before that as well. Um, so they're hoping they can get back to that i mean but look if you look at the numbers it's a very small trade this is zeros and ones here so it's not a big deal um and to your point it's it's tampa bay clearing the roster spot Uh, kudos to our uh, tampa bay rays users on the site who sort of predicted this because they know the rays and how they operate and they they thought this might happen so that's that and the rays are getting back you know a minor very minor sort of prospect as we had to add into the system is a very sort of low number and then a PTBNL l or cash as well just to kind of make it closer so this one fits our model very well um and i think it's understandable all the way around
0: the one part of this trade that i don't necessarily understand is the dodgers end of it they it, If I'm reading into this right and looking at this trade correctly, they preferred Garrett Clevenger over Jose Alvarado, right? Because both players that the Rays acquired in this deal came from the Dodgers. So if the Dodgers would have rather gotten Alvarado, they could have theoretically just done Paulson and the player to be named later for Alvarado straight up, leave the Phillies out, out of the deal entirely. Yeah. I don't know if I understand that. I mean... They're the Dodgers. I'll trust that they know what they're doing here. Yeah. Um, There, there was a. Sorry, there was a
1: subsequent report that. uh... That um, Clevenger was coached by, I think, in college by someone on the Dodgers development uh, staff that they know him well, and okay. he already just debuted in the majors, and so he may be like a depth arm that they have confidence they can do something with and work with him, um, and and actually, you know, be productive at the major league level, um, whereas you know, and is healthy as opposed to Alvarado, who may not be healthy. I, I think that may be the the motivation there.
0: Yeah, obviously more more team control coming with Clevenger. Um, zero track record essentially like he mentioned he's been in the majors that was just a quick appearance with the Phillies yeah. last year Um, pretty m- middling <laughs> minor league numbers and he's relief pitcher only um, yeah maybe there's something they see maybe it's something money-wise where they this is kind of their 40th man on the 40-man roster anyway so they don't want to uh, tie any money to that spot like they would have to with Alvarado and arbitration, something along those lines. I don't know. It, it's, it strikes me as a bit strange at first glance, but uh, you know the Dodgers—they they know more about relievers than I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, didn't think, I, I, I didn't think Jake McGee had anything left in the tank. If they, <laughs> yeah <laughs> they did it so
1: yeah i mean i'm not gonna sweat it because you know it it it. i don't think it's just gonna matter much in terms of the valuations yeah. which is what our concern is but uh you know they have their reasons and they have a connection there so you know yeah. maybe they can see something they can work with there mm-hmm.
0: all right and then one last little nugget of news uh joe musgrove pittsburgh pirates right-hander um centerpiece of the garrett cole trade he's drawing increased trade interest um this isn't too much of a surprise. We've actually been talking about Musgrove for about a year now, Yep. I would say. Yep. Um, we think he's underrated, uh, at least publicly, and he could be the next big shoe to drop on the starting pitching market. He's the, most, he's the most obvious trade piece left on that market now that Darvish and Snell have both been picked up.
1: Yeah, so in his case, I mean, he's dirt cheap. He's not making much at all, and... He's a three-war pitcher. I mean, some people don't believe me. I go look at Fangraphs. He's a three-war pitcher um, for the last two seasons, and is projected that as well, on a dirt-cheap contract. So with two years of control. Um, so, because the arbitration number is, is low because of the outdated arbitration system, which for starters measures you on wins and losses. And he's been pitching for the Pirates, but his all his peripherals are really good, and he finished 2020, you know, with a couple of amazing starts. So, he's a he's a hot hand. And so I think you know there's I think our valuation right right now is I'm feel I feel very confident in it. You know that's going to take prospect capital. They'll, they'll be looking for something. You know, fairly serious for him. You know, we've got him in the 30s, so it'll be you know a decent prospect package. Probably like a, you know, at least a a 50-rated prospect as a lead, perhaps another one or two. Uh, But the Patrick, uh, excuse me, the Pirates are looking to build continuously on their you know their farm, and it's already getting better. But they're uh, they're looking for even more. So. I see this one as a no-brainer. Whoever takes him, it could be the Yankees, could be the Blue Jays, anybody with a need for starting pitching and some capital to work with on the prospect side, uh, I can see it happening.
0: Keep an eye on the Angels there too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've there. had a lot of uh, trade proposals on our site with the with him going to the Angels. I think that makes a lot of sense. Although the Angels don't have as much prospect capital to work with. I mean, the big it's question there is— Pretty top-heavy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Are they going to move Marsh? They probably they wouldn't move Adele for, for right. Musgrove. But Marsh, maybe that's a pretty even swap. We've had some one-to-one proposals on that. Or maybe they sort of go to the next tier down and, and mix a couple of them together. Uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah, but potentially a better fit there— than a Bauer type because they're unless unless they're willing to blow past the luxury tax uh, at this point it looks like Bauer will put them well over that whereas Musgrove as you mentioned dirt cheap yeah um okay oh I, w- I did want to add that uh, if you're a Pirates fan and a- at least personally to me I think if they do move Musgrove now that's the first sign of confidence I've had in the Pittsburgh Pirates in years. <laughs> <laughs> They waited too long on Bell. They've waited too long on Adam Frazier. You could argue they even waited too long on Starling Marte, though that trade was yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. Um, But this is the time to move Musgrove. You don't need to wait for him to blow out his elbow next year because it's the Pirates. You know what would happen. <laughs> uh, just, just get him out of there. Get your prospects and uh, get into this rebuild because it's going to be... The end's not really in sight in Pittsburgh. It's going to be a few more years, so no, I, you know, get into and- it
1: and you know it's a different gm than the previous you know it's it's Ben been Charrington now he's been there a year he's gotten his feet wet he's 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 you know he, he has a strategy clearly you know yeah. to uh to build up the farm you know, it's a complete rebuild it'll take a while but he's he's on it so he'll make the move
0: yeah i do also want to mention uh, one last preller move the padres signed haseong kim korean shortstop uh four-year 25 million dollar contract Um, he's not going to play shortstop. If you you didn't remember, the Padres have one of those. He's kind of good. His name's Fernando Tatis Jr., who was (laughs) once traded for James Shields. Never forget that. Uh, But yeah, Kim's not going to be playing shortstop. They're going to figure out something between him and Jake Cronenworth, where one plays second base, one plays left field. Uh, They're going to sort that out, but they like the player enough in Kim to make that commitment to him without uh, necessarily having a position open for him right away
1: yeah to me this was perhaps the most surprising move of all <laughs> like you know what you need him too and <laughs> and and you have the money to sign him um okay yeah. <laughs> um but um i actually added him to the system i wanted to note on his valuation this is a really hard thing for us to do is yeah. to evaluate um asian uh you know uh, I won't call them prospects because that doesn't feel like the right word because they've been playing in the Mm -hmm. at the at the um, equivalent major league level there,
0: which is they're international professionals
1: exactly, and so but but nonetheless they get. They get evaluated typically by public prospect evaluators that we follow Mm -hmm. and the ones that we do think he's a 50 value. So I plugged in the numbers and normally that would mean that eventually he would put up a certain amount of value at a certain price. But in this case, since they're paying him in effect like a free agent, it's kind of a weird hybrid. Mm -hmm. Uh, My point is that um, we have him at uh, 6.6, but there's a little bit of a trick to that. They had to pay about 5 million in posting costs and other fees and so the 25 million in salary that he's owed, if you tack on the fifth, the five that they had to pay to get him, um, comes out pretty close to even. I have his field value at 31.6. So if you had it at 30, it'd be okay, that's, that's a fair price, and that's why he signed with a little bit over to, to win the bid. So, um, but in our system, they had to pay the five million already um to his previous team so he's owed going forward the
0: 25
1: but he's still worth 31.6 if you follow my logic which gives him a surplus of 6.6 so that's where we have him
0: yeah and as you mentioned it's a weird spot where you kind of have to take the system we already have in place and also take a look and say well this is this is what happened like we (laughs) we were just talking earlier about like kind of what we look at for our values is okay what would this person get as a free agent Mm -hmm. and like yeah maybe if you just plug in the 50 future value into this into the model it comes out higher than 25 million but then you have you know the proof is in the pudding the the market decided that he's worth four years and 25 million so i i think that goes into a little bit what some prospect evaluators have been including with their values which is uh risk level yeah where uh certain certain 50s are a little bit more desirable than other 50s well um, and and and
1: and certain prospect evaluators already sort of bake in that yeah. into the final yeah. number like eric long and I, uh, fan graph said. okay so if it could be that um a 50 is you know a 21 year old in a high a with super high upside but the risk sort of offsets that yeah uh, or it could be it's a guy like you know that's at the AAA level who's solid higher floor maybe he's not quite as high ceiling but you know you're going to he's, he's a two war player that's a 50 yeah. as well he's got them yeah. both sort of because those things cancel each other out yeah
0: and kim is more of the former although he is yeah. 25 he is going to be he's expected to be mlb ready right away right um it's just so much more uncertainty with him coming from korea with uh, that league tends to have inflated offensive stats Mm -hmm. the average fastball velocity is much lower overseas Mm -hmm. than it is in in the united states um or i suppose in america we have we have a canadian team that played in buffalo (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so so the risk is much higher there it is more akin to that high variance uh, lower minors because if if he's eighty percent if he's 75 80 percent of the player he was in korea this is a steal for the padres
1: yeah we'll see
0: okay this episode has already run pretty long so let's jump ahead into the trade of the week uh this one's from jlaw 22 and we're going back to the cubs and so as you mentioned earlier in this episode uh there's reports that they have been pushing wilson contreras a little harder um there was there was a little bit of buzz toward the beginning of the darvish rumors yesterday that he could be in that deal as well. It ended up being Caratini instead. But it seems like the Cubs are pretty inclined to move him, move his salary. It's it's looking more and more like something of a of a fire sale every day for them. I mean maybe you look at it and say, well if they trade Contreras they can keep Bryant and Baez, maybe try to extend them or maybe they're the next ones out the door. So Whatever the case, here is a trade proposal with Contreras and Bryant, both headed to the Nationals. So we have Bryant at $3.7 million in trade value, Contreras at $28.3. Uh million. Ex- in exchange, Nationals would send back Jan Gomes, we have at negative 2.4, that would help offset the salaries just a little bit, and Carter Keboom, who has also been reportedly made available in trade by the Nationals infielder, $35.1 million. His stock has fallen considerably, but he still has significant prospect value. Um, at first glance, I'm not entirely sure the Nationals have the budget room to take on this much salary and also fill the other needs on their roster. But from purely a roster standpoint, this makes a ton of sense
1: yeah i'm with you on that um it's unclear to me whether they do or not um you know that that's a team that's hard to read but they just took on josh bell so and they've said publicly they want to keep adding to their roster they want to go for it one more time um they felt like 2020 was an anomaly and they still have that sort of 2019 sort of championship thing in their culture and then when they've got soto who's in his prime you know so so they've got trey turner still there so they're like but if you look at their lineup there's holes there right um you know even after bell it's like uh. so i think you know if you look at it just purely from a lineup point of view yeah they need a couple more bats so this would take care of that but to your point i don't know how much salary room they have to you know the learners are one of the richest families one of the richest owner groups so maybe they do uh they've also been known to defer quite a bit of cost that wouldn't be an option here because you're taking on existing contracts but but nonetheless they may have it i mean i mentioned earlier max scherzer has one more year in his contract so maybe they're like okay let's give it one more year let's blow it out let's see what happens and then regroup and so Bryant fits that. He's got one year left. Contreras has two. That's okay. You know, uh, Contreras would certainly be an upgrade from, from Gomes. They, they could use some help at the catcher position. They've been linked in the rumor mill to... Uh, rio muto so it'd be an alternative to rio muto uh, as
0: well as uh, yadier molina
1: yeah exactly so um both would you know either would be a lot cheaper than than rio muto in salary terms yeah um they don't have a whole lot of prospects they don't want to trade their two pitching prospects and after that they're, they're actually the weakest farm in the whole league i mean it's really thin um so kiboom is really their only prospect capital trade uh chip if you consider him a, a prospect we consider him kind of a post prospect because he's already had some not just enough meter league service time now he's obviously been, been very disappointing as you mentioned the stock has fallen you know um but he's still only 23 solid track history in the minors solid sort of tools so don't give up on him yet a lot of people think oh he's terrible uh, but remember what the what the rays did in the Archer trade austin meadows stock had fallen and you know they prospect development is not linear just because a guy is you know still adapting to the level doesn't mean he's not going to adapt so um so there's that's why we're still in the 30s on on Boom, and we'll see um so you know from a valuation standpoint i think this one makes sense i think the only question is like that salary question you mentioned with the Nats, and certainly if the cubs are you know having a fire sale then then it makes sense for them as well yeah
0: if there's a time for the nationals to put the push the chips in either in in terms of prospect capital or in terms of cash, it's right now. Um, As you mentioned, Scherzer's last year. And and I'm not going to, it's weird to think that, it's weird to say that they're wasting this core when they've already won a World Series with this core. But you have this last season of Soto, Turner, Scherzer, Strasburg. And that's an incredible four players to start with. Can, if down... if
1: Strathberg is healthy again, that's right. not the question. But yeah, right.
0: Even if he's not, you got Corbin as well, who down 2020, still a talented pitcher. You, you've got an incredible starting point if you're the Nationals. You're also in maybe the most competitive division in baseball, with the Mets opening up their pocketbooks this year, with the Braves already one of the best young teams in the game, um, the Phillies bringing on Dombrowski. You know they're going to make some moves, and then the Marlins who made the playoffs last year. So. Yeah. They got their work cut out for them here. They're not gonna just be able to coast. They I don't think they can take their current roster into the season and say and feel comfortable about themselves, even making the playoffs, let alone winning the division. So they gotta do something. Um and, and you could maybe see a world here in which they pull the trigger on this deal, you know, Bryant and Scherzer both leave after the year. They kinda you know, fall fall a little bit fall in the standings they, they still have all this money tied up to Strasbourg, um and then maybe maybe it takes them a few more years to get back to being competitive again hopefully by then they have soto locked locked up to a, a lifetime extension because he's just looking like a a generational talent a generational hitter second coming of ted williams <laughs> um, you, you really gotta plan your future around him yeah and the best way to i think the best way to get him to stick around to get him to agree to that extension is show that when you're in a position to go for it you go for it and that's that's not something that the nationals have ever been afraid to do
1: yeah and you got to have a strategy pick a pick a lane here so mm-hmm. but they seem to have picked the yes we're going to go for it lane so okay then then this trade makes sense um you've got a terrible farm it's going to take a while to rebuild that uh, so maybe one more year and then okay call it um you know, but there's not going to be much for them to trade. So that's going to be a longer rebuild, I think. Because um, you know, most of their big names are going to be free agents. Uh, maybe they trade, t- trade Turner. I think we'll have one year left on his deal after that. So I, I don't yeah. want to get into the future sort of what might happen then. But but my point is, yeah, this is probably their last year. So they might as well go it with that core. And then we'll have to try to rebuild
0: around Soto. Mm-hmm. And if that's, if that's the path they're taking, I think I like this a lot for them. I mean, yeah. Brian's a risk. If he if he bounces back to his MVP level, then this is a steal and you've got potentially the best team in that division one note about um brian's valuation i did downgrade it a
1: little bit based on the cubs fire sailing um and the the reading of the market because like i said earlier anything on a big anything with a big number is going to be hard to move and especially one coming off a bad year like his is and that's that's the case here uh, we think his market his uh field value is around 17 so just under the estimated salary of 18.6 but what puts him over is the fact that he's a likely qo candidate and so you would get the value of the draft pick which you have to sort of add in into that which puts him over which we have now in the threes so um you know it's not so even if you had traded for him and uh you get like a reasonable amount of production for him and he's gone you still get the draft pick after uqo and he decides to become free agent so there's something there
0: yeah definitely all right so thank you jlaw 22 i believe we've featured one of your trades before um <laughs> but thank you for this uh trade of the week as always if you would like to be featured in trade of the week Just go ahead and submit your trade proposals through our site, and if our readers, if our audience uh, upvotes them enough, likes the trades enough, then maybe we'll talk about them on the episode. So, now after an hour, we get to the feature topic of the episode. (laughs) Um, We did, as I mentioned before, we did something like this a few weeks back, where we took a look at an MLB.com article um, with some of the MLB.com writers making proposals for their team, their beat um to trade for francisco lindor and a lot of them were hilariously bad so <laughs> now we're bringing it to bleacher report and and nothing nothing on bleacher report i think they do a very good job of covering a very wide range of sports with very consistent coverage but from the past i've historically noticed that their trade proposals are even farther off than an mlb.com writers might be so this might get a little little wacky (laughs) okay so yeah and you know look
1: every this time of year hot stove season all sorts of publications are doing these types of articles and no offense to anybody they're probably not you know looking at it the way we're looking at it um so they're just looking at fit which is fine so now we'll look at it from a value standpoint
0: (laughs) right right um so this article is by martin finn um how much of uh how much of do you have these all pulled up in the simulator I do not. Or the values in front of you? I don't. I'm winging it. Okay, sweet. I have them pulled up, so we can play this a little bit like last time. First, um, Great. Let me just run through these real quick and make sure I'm not saying anything wrong. So so there's 10 trades here, and they're all pretty big name, you know, the superstar, mega deal type trades, except for, you know, the last, last couple get a little weird. Um, but of these 10 trades, how many are accepted by our model? uh two huh you overestimate oh actually no you are correct you are correct two okay they are two and they are both minor overpays okay <laughs> so, all right and, and one of them one of them real close to the edge there <laughs> okay so let's let's just get into this um let's we'll start with the first one here uh blue jays indian so this one is a lindor proposal Uh, The Blue Jays would get Lindor, who we have at 32.8, and Tristan McKenzie, who's kind of a breakout star for them this year, for the Indians this year, um, who we have at 21.1 million. In exchange, the Blue Jays are sending back all of their good young players. (laughs) It's Lourdes Gurriel, Jr., outfielder, 26.3, Simeon Woods, Richardson, right-handed pitcher, 24.5, and one of their top prospects, Jordan Groshans, shortstop, 40.1
1: it probably would have been closer if they just stopped before they got to gross homes,
0: right yes yes <laughs> been almost perfect
1: yeah that's the that's the one that blew it out it that's the like that's four, the yeah.
0: type of thing we see a lot with these types of proposals where it's like okay you got there but then they're just so they see the name value they see francisco lindor and they just say we need another top prospect here <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, especially in this market, I don't think that's going to fly. And also, I don't think that the Indians would ever trade uh, McKenzie because, you know, they're cost conscious and he's got six yeah. years of
0: control and he's good. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I'd say Guriel Lindor is a fantastic starting point here. Yeah, and it's, it's a popular trade. Rumored. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <clears throat> that's maybe a, that...
0: you, you find a way to get Woods Richardson in there with a different second piece on the Indian side.
1: Yeah, but he's a lot of helium. I'm not sure the, the Blue Jays would even include him, so, nor yeah. I'm not even sure they would need to. Yeah. So, uh, okay, let's play this game. Now, this time, don't tell me the values, and let's see how far off we are.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, so I'll just tell you the player names? Yeah. All right. Uh, second one, the Twins acquiring Sunny Gray, starting pitcher from the Reds, in exchange for second baseman Luis Araiz, right-handed pitcher Joan Duran, and first baseman, Brent Rooker.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> That's an overplay. <laughs> so, you know, Gray, you know, is is we have at 35. Arias, I think, is in the 40s because he's got so much. He's a good great contact hitter and so much, you know, he's cheap and under control for a long time. So that alone right there is an overplay. You don't need to ring in a Rooker. And, you know, those guys, you know, have some value as well, but that puts it way over.
0: Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you care to take a guess of how over? Uh, 20? 20? Almost exactly 30. Thirty. Twenty-nine 29.9. So we have Gray at 35.9. arise at 43.4. Duran all the way up at 17.9. Yeah. So he's, had, he's got some... I, I remember he's had some helium heading into yeah. 2020. Um, and Rooker, who had a decent little MLB debut in 2020 at 4.5. Yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, so... <laughs> again, on the surface here, Gray's a good fit for the Twins. And the Reds have been rumored to be moving him. But yeah. not for this. <laughs> this yeah, no,
1: happening. I don't think they're giving up Araya. So, Duran, I could see with a couple more pieces. Yes, agreed.
0: All right, let's continue going in this direction. Um, this one is one we've discussed before, and it's, it's the closest to reality in one way, but also not. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's hard to gauge entirely. It's a Nolan Arenado trade, Mets Rockies, Arenado Cano swap. So, the Mets are getting Arenado, Rockies get Cano. They're also getting third baseman J.D. Davis and left-handed pitcher Thomas Sapuki, and the caveat here is that the writer said the Mets get Arenado and Cash does not specify how much cash yeah that's okay (laughs) that's the important part (laughs) that's the
1: important part because it's such a big function of this deal here but he's close actually i'll give him credit for this yeah um because you know we got aeronauta minus 43 cano i think minus 40 um you know you throw in davis and zapuki and now rockies are getting too much of the better deal here so it just depends on how much cash you throw the mets
0: um yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The way, really now,
0: the way we have it now, the we have it now, have to be about twenty-five mil.
1: Yeah, um, which is you know okay, he's six years, so four million a year ish. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I, but I we're can, we're I guessing can for him. It. You can't. But yeah. but a, a note for some of these folks who do these articles, you might be able to want to be a little more specific on this because it's a big point.
0: Alternatively, by being vague, <laughs> he, he <laughs> kind of saves himself here because if yeah. he, if he went hard and said, oh, they'll they're only going to throw in ten million, then. We get to say no you're wrong nah, and now we yeah. just get to say well we don't know if you're right or wrong so <laughs> yeah <laughs> now especially up for interpretation
1: <clears throat> exactly no especially in this market like i said you know big contracts are hard to move that one is really tricky to move so mm-hmm. you
0: got to be specific mm-hmm. so i will i'll give you a hint here on this next one and tell you that nominally just on pure pure dollars not not uh percentage overpay or anything or underpay. Uh, but just nominally, this is the worst trade of the bunch. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so this one is Luis Castillo headed to the Padres, starting pitcher from the Reds. In exchange, the Reds get Luis Campusano, catcher, uh, lefty Adrian Morejon, and lefty Ryan Weathers.
1: Yeah, you're in the 50s there, and Castillo, I think, is like 114. So you're off by about
0: 60. You're way off. Sorry. Correct. Yeah, 62. <laughs> yeah. Exactly 62. So we got Castillo at 114.8. We've seen a lot of just hilarious underpay proposals for him around Twitter and other sites. Um, teams don't, people, fans, and writers, they don't seem to understand just how valuable it is to have three years of a young ace incredibly cheap through arbitration and virtually zero blemishes on yeah. his profile. You know, I
1: think there's sort of a mental framework that people have, like, oh, you know, there's like a floor and a ceiling, and they won't, they don't, they can't sort of imagine, like, 114. They're not thinking in those terms. They're just thinking, oh, he's like this guy or that guy who got this much. Um, you know, so, which translates maybe like, he's, he's like a Blake Snell, and he's worth 50 or 60. No, he's not. He's worth much more than that, to your point.
0: It, it kind of reminds me of you see sometimes these comments from people that just don't really know, they don't really get it. And they say like they see a rumor that their team is interested in Luis Castillo and they they'll say like uh, someone someone will uh, will put a proposal down and they'll respond like four prospects, no, that's too much. Right. And it's like they don't they don't have an idea of that not every prospect is <clears throat> same in the right. same way that not they don't have the idea that not every starting pitcher every ace caliber pitcher is the same there's so much more that goes into it that it's not as simple as oh we'll pull the trigger on three prospects but not on four it's like as if they're it all matters the same. Yeah. who those guys are and so they're like you say right. there is this kind of framework here of if my team wants an ace and people are saying luis castillo is an ace then they got to give up one of their better prospects, but not their best, because my team would never trade their best prospects. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and then a couple mid- middling guys that they can afford to lose, and that's exactly what this is, and yeah. it, it does not even get halfway there. No, sorry. <laughs> All righty. Let's head into Cubs-Astros here. It's another Wilson Contreras one. So Contreras goes to the Astros, along with right-handed pitcher James Norwood. In exchange for Forrest whitley who we've discussed before right-handed pitcher uh and only paredes and jeremy pena
1: yeah it's been an overpay if you just stuck with you know Contreras for whitley i think you have it um but the other two kind of put it over top it's not egregious i'd say it's a mild overpay
0: yeah, yeah. this one this one's up by about 14. yeah um so we got Contreras, we already mentioned, 28.3, and Norwood's a throw-in at 0.1. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitley at 29.7, Pena all the way up at 10, which surprised me a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and Paredes at 3.1. He had a pretty decent rookie season out of the bullpen for them. Yeah. Um, we have discussed before, though, I personally still strongly believe Forrest Whitley's untradeable. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you just don't know what you're getting there. It could be yeah. a future ace. It could be a total bust. The very as someone, is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> as someone who loved Marcapelle, had a lot of very proud of him. He's a local guy here in the Bay Area. Um, shades of Mark Appel here with Whitley. It, it looks like all the talent in the world, and it's just kind of crumbling, falling through our fingers every year.
1: Yeah, but look, if you're if if you're the Cubs and you're having a fire sale. Yeah, might as well see if you can get bet on upside. You know, they just got some teenagers, so they're thinking upside, and there's certainly upside there, but you know, there's certainly bust risk there too. So you split the difference, and that's where he's at.
0: Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe for them specifically, it could work out. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that he's one of the highest variance players yeah. in baseball, and it's going to be tricky to find a team that lines up on your value with him. Yeah. No, you, you're not wrong. All right. This one, this one I think might be the worst fit of any of these trades. Um, It's not the worst in terms of value, but in fit-wise, I don't, I don't see where he's coming from here. Uh, The Giants getting Trevor Story, a one-year rental at shortstop, thirty-three point seven million in trade value in exchange. Oh, excuse me. I'd like to add that this article is from before the Padres' activity this week, so that's why uh, the Castillo. Uh, that's why the castillo proposal was included i don't i don't think he would still yeah well i mean right. if you can get him that cheap you still pull the trigger <laughs> but yeah right uh, but i don't think yeah um, so the giants get story i accidentally told you his trade value but that's okay yeah. <laughs> um in exchange for joey bart their top prospect young catcher uh, alex canario outfielder and brandon crawford shortstop
1: yeah so crawford's negative value offset some of the positive of that but Bart is much higher than story. Yeah. Your one year rental. So for all, why do you need story to replace Crawford? Do you think you're going for it? If you're the giants, they're not there yet. It's right. not their window yet. It's not their time. Right. So there's no point to your point. That's a bad fit. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, but even just, even so from a valuation standpoint, it's like, why would they do that? Um uh, why would they get rid of their catcher of the future and another decent-ish prospect in Canario? It's just way too much. He, even including Crawford in his salary upsets that a little bit, but it's still not enough.
0: Yeah, it's off by $23.7 in total. Yeah. Um, I actually misspoke earlier. Marco Luciano is their top prospect, but Bart is one is of their top there? young pieces. He's one of their building blocks. Yeah. He's not going anywhere, especially for a year of story. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Crawford. Yes, he has negative value, but it's not that much because it is just one year. He's at yeah. negative six point six, and he still has some value with the glove. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're, trying to force this to work, <laughs> um, it gets a lot closer if you add in Johnny Cueto and his negative value. But at that point, we're just getting into fantasy land here, yeah. which we kind of already started in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alrighty, so now, I believe, I'm, I'm just eyeballing this. I, I think this is the one that hurts me the most <laughs> to look at. <laughs> um, it's, I don't think it's per, by a percentage the worst trade here, but it's the second worst by a percentage base. Okay. Um, it's straight one for one. The Angels are getting Carlos Carrasco starting pitcher you know he might help out the rotation well, let's see who they give up oh wait it's joe adele
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> yikes all right well we talked about joe adele like yeah he's still one of the top 10 prospects in baseball i know he was rushed and didn't look good and the angels know this too but he's 21 come on people he's worth a lot still um you know, and so the future is very bright for Adele. we not downgraded him from you know seventy or eighty down to fifty because of the rough start he had. But to my earlier point, prospect development is not linear, and he's got some he's got some adjustment to do. They'll give him some more seasoning in AAA. He'll find it. I think he's you know um, he's got some stuff to work on, but I think there's still a lot of potential there. But <clears throat> uh, for one year of Korea I'm sorry, did you say Correa? Uh Carrasco. Carrasco, I'm sorry, even worse. One year, yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, I mean, okay. So a lot of people ask us about why is our evaluation on Carrasco so low? We have him at 8.8. So obviously, eight versus 50. To your point, that is a huge gap. Um, Carrasco's making some decent money, um, and uh, as we saw with the Darvish trade, it's hard to move older. He's 34 uh older pitchers making money not he's not making as much as darvish but he's making some and it's gonna be hard to move um but look a 34 year old who just battled uh cancer and still ha- he missed half a season with it uh with leukemia great guy great story great uh connection with the indians and their fan base that's um it's a great story but i don't see a whole lot of surplus there using the same sort of um You know method that we sort of cross check for a 34 year old you know we've really only he's got two years in an option i don't think a 36 year old option according to our model would be picked up so what that means is you're looking at two years and um let me just double check our my math here um if he's getting uh let's see yeah he's um owed 27 million which is includes the um i think 12 each so that's 24 for two years plus a three million dollar buyout in his age 36 yeah. season um so it's 27 total but you're only getting two years um so if you sort of think about it what's two years what what would he get in the free agent market as a as a uh, as a 34 year old you know we've got if you add the 8.8 that's the equivalent of roughly a 236 deal or an 18 million aav which is similar to what Cole Hamill's got, which is, you know, we just saw the Darvish trade didn't get much and he's making uh, 20-ish. So, yeah, I think that's about right. Um, So it's only an 8.8 number. And as we've seen, um, older pitchers are just, you know, there's always some risk there. And he's got, I think that that, um, leukemia issue here is still a real scary thing that uh, will scare away a lot of teams. So excellent pitcher, great comeback story um not seeing that huge amount of value certainly nowhere near adele's potential
0: right yeah i don't i don't hate carrasco as a fit for the angels uh both on their roster and as um as he fits into their budget because 12 million it's not cheap but it's not a ton either it's not what bauer's going to cost um and i I could see him being a bit of a buy low if you're willing to overlook uh the time he lost to cancer and just say hey he was phenomenal when he came back in 2020. We think he's going to keep being that guy for at least another year, if not two. Um, so I think that's not a horrible fit for the Angels. On yeah. the flip side, Adele's a great fit for the Indians. This is a team that doesn't have an outfield. <laughs> They're just not a good fit in the same trade for each other. Um, I, I I think there's there's a deal here. I understand the fit. I understand what the, what the author here was going for. It's just... Pathetically mismatched <laughs>
1: yeah sadly
0: Alrighty. righty now we're heading gro- into uh Joe Musgrove territory so he would go to the Blue Jays in exchange for Alejandro Kirk catcher uh really really fun looking dude <laughs> and outfielder Dasan Brown
1: yes yeah, not enough uh, so there's this perception that Musgrove is sort of a back-end starter, is not worth all that much. I keep seeing it in the media, and yeah, as I said earlier, he's worth a lot more than you think. He's a good three-war pitcher, so that's not nearly enough. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, we have this one. is This is the first one that's actually accepted, uh, but it's as a moderate overpay. Uh, so we have Musgrove at 36.4, Kirk at 24.1, and Brown at 2.4. Yeah, so, so you're going to put up a little here. bit more than that. It's not the yeah. worst
1: in the world, but you're definitely need to
0: pony up more. Exactly. I mean, Kirk is <laughs> Kirk is fun. He's yeah. an ex- he's an interesting prospect beyond just, "Hey, he looks funny." But <laughs> yeah, you definitely need more here if if this is the Pirates best trade chip, they they need more here.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Now, this is the worst trade On a percentage basis, I believe, Um, the Athletics acquire Sam Bramer, or excuse me, Ben Bramer, left-handed pitcher, in exchange for Mark Canna, outfielder. Okay. (laughs) Excuse me, this is to the Nationals. Yeah, no. Um, So, you know,
1: okay. So we have canna at 15 bramer is under one or so so it's not even in the it's not in the same galaxy yes, yes um and i'm not saying that that canna is worth so much it's just that th- th- this is two different worlds here you know he's a very productive uh you know center like center field great you know played, had a great year at the plate has had a couple of good years at the plate now really productive hitter can play first base really an asset and he's not making that much money i think eight million so any team would you know uh love to have him as kind of a, a utility type uh can play anywhere almost anywhere and um, be very productive for you. he's a two to three win player you know in that ballpark for not that much money you don't trade a guy like that for a low level prospect of less than one <laughs> it's just not yes. even uh, i don't even know where to start
0: yes canna is kind of the anti Bryant. is that fair to say yeah that's a <laughs> where, good point where he you look at him and you say oh, he's a rental, one-year deal, he can't be worth that much, but he's got a good couple years under his belt, a good last couple years. He's trending in a good direction. He's not making that much. He's not making as much as his success would imply he would because we've mentioned it, arbitration is screwy. And so he has a surprising amount of, maybe surprising amount of surplus, even though he's a one-year player, as compared to Bryant, where his worst performance has come recently and arbitration is still paying him for his best performance Mm -hmm. and he has surprisingly at least on the surface a little surprisingly less value than one might expect
1: yeah, and it gets into the whole sort of wackiness of the arbitration system. So if you start high and you get raises on top of that high number, it's gonna continue high, which is the case with Bryant, who was an MVP early on. Um Canna, who was a rule five guy who kind of like is a you know working was the class guy guy for the most part. Yeah, and, and he's just sort of out. you know a great sort of, you know, work hard, you know paid his dues kind of guy so he was making nothing in arbitration and now you get the value as he's peaking so that's it that's exactly what a gm would want
0: yeah exactly and just glancing at the values here if the nationals did want him it would cost him or it would cost the nationals one of those two top arms that they've uh reportedly made unavailable uh cavalli and rutledge cavalli we have at 15-2 which is almost a perfect match and rutledge at 12-4 if you go much lower than that then you're getting into um, some of their more middling prospects that it would take two or three of to make the deal happen.
1: Yeah, and if they... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by that if they don't want to touch those two guys because really their farm is so terrible that there's a big drop-off after that. So maybe they're just holding on for the only two guys they got, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there are other fits for Cantna as well. He could go to almost any team. So I'm sure the A's could find something better than that.
0: Yeah, there's reports that the A's are penny-pinching more so than usual this offseason that they might not even make an offer to Marcus Simeon as to not offend him. Um, it's a bummer to see <laughs> after yeah. they finally dethroned the Astros win the division that they might just have to, or choose to, I'm not going to say have to, they might just choose to kind of let it slip away, let their, let all their free agents walk, um, potentially offload contracts like Canna's. My gut says they don't go that far in this, they don't trade him, but I mean... The reports are out there so
1: they are and and they haven't picked a strategy yet so we'll see i mean the, you know they're used to playing the sort of waiting game where they'll pick up some bargains in february with whoever's left over from the, the free agent market and maybe you know if they have just enough budget to do that they can do that and still kind of keep the core together at least with uh, chapman and olsen and chapman coming back from an injury yeah so and loriano's in his prime and so you've still got some pieces there and some mm-hmm. decent pitching
0: um yeah but some they polls don't they have them They just don't have a middle infield and they're missing about half of a bullpen. Yeah. (laughs) And they haven't really done a whole lot about it this off season. They made five pickups and that's it.
1: Yeah. So they either have to find some money and stitch it together with, uh, you know, what's left on the free H market or, you
0: know, go big and sell off, uh, you know, and And rebuild the farm. And they also have a relatively weak farm right now. They've graduated. Yeah. Um, they graduated Luzardo, who was their top prospect, Sean Murphy, who's looking like one of the best catchers in baseball he's turning into, and I I believe A.J. Puck is still prospect-eligible, but his stock has fallen considerably due to his injuries
1: injuries and more and more like a lever, lever. yeah it's similar to the uh, brewster Gratterwall situation about a right. year ago i think um but um yeah and then there's a, there's a drop after uh, drop off after puck even so so that is i was like saying earlier that the um I was computing the top 30 values of every farm and they're 29 so only ahead of the nationals actually yeah. <laughs> um so there's there's a rebuild coming it's just a question of was it this year probably next year if it's not this year um, so we'll see
0: Alright, last trade here from the article, this one's it's not these aren't the names, I mean not that Mark Hanna is the name you see thrown around very often um, but this one's even a bit more out of nowhere <laughs> uh, the Yankees get lefty Stephen Brault from the Pirates in exchange for outfield prospect Cannon Smith
1: Eh <laughs> seems like this one feels
0: like we got to get a yankees deal in here somehow but we already traded everyone away um um, um, they need a pitcher um pirates are giving up here yeah
1: i I don't have much to say about this one i mean brawl is he's sort of a swing man he was a reliever he's a pitcher he's a starter he's not that great he had a little bit of an uptick 2020 but he's a backhand starter at best probably a swing man Yankees need an arm. Okay, <laughs> sounds like um, I don't remember where Smith is. Um, it's probably not that bad of an overpay, but a little bit of an overpay if I'm guessing right.
0: Yeah, this one's a minor overpay. We yeah. got Brault at three point seven and Smith at seven point six. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think Brault's three point seven factors in his success at the plate. So uh, that might be <laughs> underrating him a little bit. Uh, he, if I'm not, I don't think I'm mixing him up here. I think he had some incredible stretch of not striking out to start his career um (laughs) i think i I heard about that somewhere
1: and we're forgetting the most important angle which is in his off time he's a broadway singer send him to new york
0: (laughs) perfect (laughs) maybe that's where this is coming from (laughs) so yes we have him at three seven smith at seven six so not great but accepted minor overpay i i'm not in a way this might be the most realistic trade on the list. Just yes. in that it's it's kinda nobody for nobody. Yeah. And those are a lot more common yeah. <laughs> than right. here's my star player for your top prospect and then some. Right. But yeah so there's that (laughs) okay well that was fun um
1: and you know to be fair you know we don't expect journalists to crunch the numbers that's our job right so we just have a little fun with this and show the difference and one of the reasons we we exist is to kind of fill that gap and that's kind of our mission is to see if we can help educate people and fans in particular about what these values might actually look like
0: Mm -hmm. and it's something of a case study to say yeah things like this are part of why we exist (laughs) right all right. Um, this has been a very full, very fun episode. You can thank AJ Preller for that. <laughs> uh, I think this is probably where we'll leave it off today. We have a couple more, uh, a couple more ideas that we'll save for the next episode uh, when we hopefully have some more time to get to them. Um, of course, who knows? Next week, I'm sure Dave Dombrowski's going to trade Bryce Harper and pick up Juan <laughs> Soto or something goofy just uh and he'll do it the night before we record so look forward to that (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh, anyways that'll that'll do it for this week uh thank you all so much for listening and thank you for a really strong year um as we as we head into 2021 here we know 2020 wasn't great for anyone um but we feel very happy with the way that we have grown that baseball trade values has grown with the growth we've experienced on social media and with uh uh page views audience love to love to have that love to have you all on board um and we're looking forward to growing even further in 2021 uh so if you guys have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues@gmail.com, or find us on twitter at baseball values we'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more off-season news and updates potentially get to a couple more of those things that we have in store um so stay tuned for those stay safe and enjoy the off-season thanks john
1: thanks josh